welcome to CityWire Selector Podcast. Joining me today is Willem Hobbs, uh, CEO of Barclays Investment Solutions. Well, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me on, Margarita. Uh, if you look at European investors, and well, as an insider, you see the market a bit more clearly, so to say. So mm. do you think uh, there is some prejudice towards certain sectors, asset classes from outside of the UK at the moment, and what are these sectors or snippets? Yeah, so I think, I mean, there is something going on at the moment which is global, it's not just UK, um, and I think there's a big tilt towards um, kind of quality. Um, this kind of best of breed idea, you know, there's a well-worn theme, uh, and it's to do with many of the things. It, it sort of also helps to, I think people are overpaying for safety, maybe. I think mm. that's one of the things that we're looking at at the moment. And that has affected some UK sectors as well, because the UK over-indexes in those quite, you know, safety or apparent safety uh, kind of stocks like sort of, you know, consumer staples, pharmaceuticals, yeah. that kind of high quality stuff. The concern I would have there is that um, in a way there's a price for everything. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that we found persistently through this economic cycle is that the risks of a recession uh, have been exaggerated. Uh, and it's not just the risks of a recession, but it's the risks of a repeat of 2008, mm-hmm. uh, 2007, 2008, which are being exaggerated. Uh, and that is meaning that every time you get a downswing in the inventory cycle, uh, or a downturn in you know, the business cycle generally, and the business cycle always has jagged, jagged teeth. Everyone ships in masses of treasuries, quality stocks, yeah. all these kind of things. And, and in a way, you know, that's one of the things that you can find with markets is that they're perfectly capable of starting a fight in an empty room. Um, and this may be one of the areas where, without the help of the economy, investors are building up some trouble for themselves. Mm-hmm. So would you consider value, for example, at this moment? I think, you know, there will be a time for value. I mean, I think the main thing that we're trying not to do too much is make a, make a strong call in any direction. We're trying mm. to have some exposure to all of the factors within our um, equity buckets in particular without too strong a tilts um, because we just worry, uh, in a sense, we don't see uh, big opportunities to tilt in either direction at the moment. Um, but I think the main thing that we are leaning against in our overall asset allocation is the high quality fixed income components, mm-hmm. which is part of the same idea to a certain extent. And I guess if you did find yields move higher as you are at the moment, then one of the things that will be punished in the market or should be punished in the market is those companies that look most bond-like in their cash flows. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, if you think about it, consumer staples, pharmaceuticals, mm-hmm. because much like, you know, you can almost value these companies and, and technology to a certain extent as well. But you can almost value these companies as as just sort of um, big, long term, perpetual bonds. That's what their cash flows look like. If you mm-hmm. assume that people are still going to be eating, you know, Heinz baked beans in 100 years time, <laughs> then you simply just sort of, you know, you discount mm-hmm. the cash flows back and you get to a present value. But those long duration cash flows should be very vulnerable in terms of valuation if your interest rates, your discount rate goes up. So away from bond proxies, basically. Yes, yes, <laughs> I think that's right. And, and I, you know, we would still think, um, you know, uh, the risks of a recession are higher than they've been for some time. Mm-hmm. Um, that is definitely true. And, you know, on our kind of recession dashboard, um, uh, some of the lights are flashing amber that haven't flashed worryingly amber for some time. Um, However, you know, it is it is avoidable, A. Um, you know, we're to a certain extent reliant on a degree of political self-interest from the major actors, um, you know, especially with U.S. 
presidential elections coming up next year in 2020 and the campaign trail heating up shortly. Um, and, you know, one of the messages that I would have thought uh, POTUS will want to take onto the campaign trail is a strong economy message. The other point um, to make here, I think, is an, which is an important one, is that there don't seem to be, you know, generally, if you look at the age of this economic cycle, you would sort of assume that it, there's been some kind of wild partying going on. That's generally what you'd assume by when something gets 10 years old, uh, in economic terms anyway, obviously, a 10-year-old yeah. hasn't had much time to party in human terms. But in this situation, if you think about it, you, you would usually expect some of the signs of that age to be showing up. Now, one of the signs of a wild party is inflation. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is kind of rapid leverage increases or when the U.S. private sector is starting to dip into deficit uh, in terms of how it's funding its expenditures. None of those things are there right now. So we would argue that, you know, there's no urgent need for a recession. But what you are finding is that manufacturing confidence is swooning and that's leaking into some of the areas in the, some of the more substantial areas of the economy. Mm-hmm. What makes you so convinced that it's not 2008 rerun? So are there any specific um, factors that make you hopeful that it's not going to be quite as bad? Yeah, I mean, well, so I think, you know, there's a number of points here, uh, Margarita, that they're... I mean, it's interesting. I mean, if you look at just the bald facts, you know, what was at the center of 2007-2008? It was the banks and the U.S. consumer, roughly speaking. I mean, there's mm-hmm. more to it than that. But if you look there, you know, banks are unrecognizable uh, from mm-hmm. their pre-financial uh, crisis guys. You know, in terms of loss-absorbing capital, mm-hmm. the regulators insisted on far more reassuring levels uh, of uh, of loss-absorbing capital. So that uh, that alongside the kind of the actual risk appetite, the banking sector, you know, working for one, I, I, the difference <laughs> is is really quite stark. Um, The other point to make is, you know, whereas, you know, debt to income in 2006 for the U.S. consumer was at 40-year highs, it's at 40-year lows now. So that there's a very different setup, I guess. The other thing is that, you know, the... 2007-2008, you know, if you're looking at it in kind of, you know, was it was an economic heart attack, uh, you know, a liquidity seizure of the type that doesn't tend to happen very often. You can always have like a, you know, confidence can always evaporate uh, yeah. and that creates, you know, liquidity problems. But what you need after that is the kind of big imbalances to make those liquidity problems much more severe, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so far, that's, that's just hard to see. Mm-hmm. The final point I make, I mean, it, it just um, looking at a much broader panorama of recessions, Look at the last sort of, you know, since the U.S. was measuring them in the middle of the 19th century. And if you look at kind of recessions as shaded bars in a chart, you can see that they've been becoming less frequent and less severe over time. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't mean that that has to continue to be the case, but 2008 really does stick out on that front. And actually, we do tend to be getting better at managing the economy. The economy itself is getting less volatile because of the components um, parts Um, so that there's there's no reason to think that recessions will ever be abolished altogether. But there's also no reason to assume that every recession looks like the last one. Yes. Uh, well, I think what makes people worried a bit is the whole unprecedented QE mm-hmm. situation and negatively yielding high yield convertible bonds, etc. Yeah. So it's just this unknown situation of being somewhere we have never been before. Mm. And on top of that, not having much room for uh, monetary policy action if we actually go into recession. I think that's entirely right. And I think that is a concern. And it's got it's a number of things that are really interesting. Because if you look at sort of, we were looking at this the other day and just thinking, 
you know, in the QE era, one of the problems you have is usually the bond market acts as a kind of quite strict school teacher for the politicians. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what I mean by that, obviously, is that if the bond market doesn't like your spending plans, if I, you know, if I am lending to you, Margarita, and I mm -hmm. think, uh, you know, that I'm, I'm lending you money and you say, well, actually, I'm going to you know, make a very sensible investment, so on, then I'm going to give you a lower interest rate. And obviously, you're very trustworthy and all those kind of things. If, however, uh, you came to me and said, you know, I'm going to splurge this on whatever and I don't really care about the return, so on and so on, I'm obviously going to give you a higher interest rate. And so should it go uh, when governments look to borrow? But at the moment, because of QE, you know, political sort of idiosyncrasy or dysfunction seems to be being rewarded with lower interest rates, uh, which is kind of creating more scope for politicians to act to a certain extent. But like you also say, um, you know, both good and bad, I guess, it just gives more freedom for the for the political, uh, you know, for the democratically elected, uh, or even all politicians, mm -hmm. to be honest. But the like you rightly say, I think with this, you know, when the next crisis does come, what are you going to do? How mm -hmm. are you going to do it? Are you going to go negative interest rates? Are you going to try and raise the inflation? targeting, which is a bit of a slower way to do it, um, you need governments to do something as well, because there is some fiscal space for the likes of Germany and the Netherlands. They will be needed to use it, one suspects. Mm -hmm. it, it may also be, you know, there are sort of, you know, there are some maybe optimistic scenarios where you could argue that the right kind of crisis could force the right kind of response from Europe, which is, mm -hmm. you know, a huge, uh, you know, people are talking already about this massive Green New Deal, mm -hmm. um, and that you could have like a real ability to um, link up or maybe even kind of, you know, uh, uh, communize debt to some sort of set, set, mm -hmm. you know there's there's ways of getting there that a crisis might force and generally you tend to find that with Europe that they take a few more steps forward uh, when forced to mm -hmm. um, and that might be something that the next crisis could achieve but like you say where do interest rates go you know you are limited as long as you've got a two percent ish uh, you know target rate um, and two percent inflation then the maximum real interest rate you can go is minus two yeah. Uh, really in the US and obviously you know Europe is experimenting Different. with lower but mm -hmm. it's struggling to get much lower isn't it? One last thing that I wanted to touch upon mm. is actually the whole exclusion story because people are trying to toy with like excluding several sectors based on ESG for example mm -hmm. sustainability ambitions like remove tobacco remove coal coal sorry um, and will, will that not kind of disrupt the whole uh, established order, like, for example, for value stocks, because value stocks, mainly oil, gas, uh, energy companies. Uh, so we will not have a bit of a bigger problem on our hands if uh, the exclusion story will go on. So it's really, that's a really, really interesting point. And I think it's one of the, so I mean, in a way, for me, I, I've sort of found, um, just as a personal investor, I understand that there are certain mandates where, you know, you can't possibly own those kinds of things. But from a philosophical perspective, exclusion investing has always been a little bit unsatisfactory to me, because if you think about it, you know, where do I draw the line? Is it the coal company or the bank that funds the coal company? Or if I don't want munitions, uh, is it the, you know, do I look at the mine that is where the sort of bullets mm -hmm. start off? Or do I go to the bank? You know, how far down the line do I need to staunch in order to be mm -hmm. satisfied that I'm not 
exposed mm -hmm. to this thing that I don't want to be exposed to. Uh, and in a way, that's one of the positive things that's emerging at the moment is this idea of impact investing. Mm -hmm. So what I can do now is I can look uh, specifically, and companies are cropping up all over facilitating this, that I can look very specifically to environmental objectives and say that I want to give money, give capital mm -hmm. to that company who is doing amazing things with um, you know, taking plastic out of the oceans or mm -hmm. whatever that may be. And so impact investing is growing much more. Now, that sort of goes away from your question a little bit, but the, the, the point about um, exclusion, I guess, um, on the other side, um, is that in a world where everything has to be owned at a price, mm -hmm. what you should find is that in order to get... Um, you know, so say there are a group, a cohort of investors mm -hmm. who are happy owning tobacco stocks. Mm -hmm. There are a growing company, a cohort of investors, let's say, who are unhappy. Now, in some senses, in order to get incentivize those uh, investors who are happy to own tobacco stocks to own more of it, the expected return from tobacco stocks has to go up. And that is the market mechanism, in a sense. Yeah. And so what you should find always is that how, as ugly as stocks are, there will always be a price at which someone will turn mm. around and say, okay, that's... That's too attractive to turn yeah. down. I'll give up my morals for the day. Mm -hmm. um, and that doesn't have to be us, obviously, but, but mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that tends to be the way the market mechanism works. But impact investing is a really exciting new area. I mean, we've got a multi-asset class impact fund, um, which is you know, generating a lot of interest um, at the moment. And it's, it's, a, it's a really exciting way for sort of investors to be able to try and solve the world's problems uh, whilst also hopefully making a return on investment. Mm -hmm. One last thing about recessions. Do you expect any action um, in the lead up from regulation, uh, regulators in particular, like maybe introducing new uh, measurements or maybe restrictions, anything at all? In terms of sort of um, prudential, uh, yeah, I mean, so there is a role, I guess, for um, how, um, yeah, I mean, somewhat. I don't think those kinds of things are really sort of with regards to um, recessions particularly. Um, I think it's more about um, a sort of long-term story. There's a lot of talk about, um, you know, the redesign of capitalism and how, you know, and if you look at, for instance, Elizabeth Warren's, you know, agenda, um, talking about, um, you know, the ratio of average worker to CEO salaries, these kinds of things are coming up a lot. You know, she's talked a little bit about, you know, um, some of the sort of tech behemoths and whether that's the sort of, you know, appropriate market size and mm -hmm. how you can have, because, you know, the economy has changed, uh, other types of con uh, companies that dominate our economy have really changed dramatically um, over the last, uh, you know, 50 years. And you're, you're in much more of a kind of winner-take-all um, culture. And that has also created, if you think about that sort of service sector story, the fact that you've got this kind of winner-take-all, um, you know, markets mm -hmm. means that the returns to hiring that person who could make a difference in that story is commanding much, much higher yeah. salaries. Now, somehow that's got to be uh, sorted out. I'm way too stupid to work out how, um, but it's, it's certainly something that's, I mean, it's a mm -hmm. really interesting angle. And, uh, and the political debate is moving on quite fast in this area. I mean, I, I would advise anyone who's interested, I mean, have a look just, just for interest's sake in, in um, you know, in Elizabeth Warren's um, manifesto, mm -hmm. you know, it's not really a manifesto, but she's been very detailed in her sort of policy proposals. And mm -hmm. you can get a sense the way that, you know, the left wing of America is kind of thinking about stuff, which is which is interesting in itself, just in terms of how the debate is, uh, how the debate is moving on, even if that's not what's being implemented at the moment. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Will, for joining us today. Yeah. <laughs> no problem at all, Margarita.